Life is full of challenges. With an unpredictable economy and just as surprising life changes, you need to be prepared to weather any storm. Elder law and estate planning attorney Kevin Tharp and financial advisor Gary Anderson are available to help you with life's difficult decisions. This is Truth in Planning. The keys to estate planning. I'm Kevin Tharp, elder law and estate planning attorney. And I'm Gary Anderson, financial advisor, Anderson Advisors. Gary, you've heard me say on this show on a regular basis that... (laughs) There are certain laws out there that uh, in regards to or connected to estate planning that are like the laws of gravity. You can have different opinions on them. You can discuss them. You can disagree with them. You can ignore them. You can say, I've never heard it. But the law of gravity says this every single time. If you get on top of this, we get on top of this radio station and we jump off or we get pushed off. Every single time, regardless of our particular beliefs or circumstances, we're going to hit the ground. And so these keys to estate planning, Gary, are exactly the same thing. They're like the laws of gravity. They will apply in every single situation with no exception. And quite honestly, Gary, the reason that I've been doing this and doing it well for the last 35, almost 36 years has been because I followed these bedrock principles without exception. Everybody has a different way. Every lawyer has a different way of processing and dealing with and, you know, helping and assisting their clients. Uh, Everybody has their own system. And my system has developed over the years and you have to make modifications. But here's what we do not vary from. We do not vary from these legal principles that I'm going to talk about. In essence, regardless of whoever has walked through my door, and we've had a variety of people over the years, including my own family, my own parents, my own in-laws, and others, people I go to church with, my neighbors, over the years that have come to see me, and every single one of them have come in with this, these questions on their mind. It may not be exactly like this, It may not be exactly phrased like this, but here's their thing on their mind. Number one, what's going to happen to my assets when I die? And Gary, there is a universal answer to that question, regardless of your situation. Everybody's family situation is unique, and we recognize that in our planning for them. But we don't vary from these three principles. Why? Because that gives you a complete estate plan. And if you have a complete estate plan, you know exactly what's going to happen to your assets when you die. You know exactly what is not going to happen when you die. So what are those three principles? Well, number one, principle number one is put your wishes in a legal document. That is an important step. That's like building the body of the car. Everybody has different specifications as to how they want their car to look, what they want it to look like, uh, and all of that. So your, your wishes are your wishes. Your wishes don't have to be your uh, kids' wishes. Your kids' wishes can't be, don't have to be yours. You and your spouse don't have to have the same exact wishes. We see that a lot in blended families. There is actually a law that says you can leave your stuff to whomever you want, however you want. It's literally called the law of free wishes. 
And the only requirement of that law of free wishes is that you put them in a legal document. You put them in writing. Now, the standard, most popular, most familiar legal document that people uh, have or know about, that you hear people on that radio talking about, is a will. Make sure your will is executed and signed properly. Make sure that you have the right, correct witnesses. Make sure you have a self-proving affidavit. All of those things are legal requirements for your document. But a will is just a document. It's not a complete estate plan because it's missing this second element. If you get on the top of this roof, uh, building and you jump off and you say, I'm not going to hit the ground because I have a will in my hand, okay, you're going to hit the ground. Mm-hmm. Why? Because of this, the importance of this second element. And this is, the, I think, the legal principle that's often ignored and overlooked. Tell me how your assets are titled, and I'll tell you what's going to happen to your assets when you die. You're listening to Truth in Planning. I'm Gary Anderson, financial advisor, Anderson Advisors, and I'm with my co-host, Kevin Tharp, estate planning and elder law attorney. And today, Kevin is talking about the estate plan putting together the right estate plan and protecting your assets. And Kevin, again, there's a lot of misinformation out there with these. I think you do a very good job of clarifying and explaining the difference in the type of planning that you do versus somebody else versus other people. And I know from my experience over the years working with clients who've worked with you that the planning that you does absolutely works and it works the way they need for it to depending on their situation. Every single time. Why? Because of these three bedrock principles. And the first one is put your wishes in a legal document. Now, the most popular document is a will. But here's what's missing from a will. Title. Every asset you own, we own, Gary, Whether, regardless of the value, regardless of the type of asset, it has a title. How is your home owned? Do you have a beneficiary on your retirement account or your life insurance policy? How are your banking accounts owned? How are your investment accounts owned? How is your real estate other than your home? How is it owned? That's title. All of those things are title. And it will trump your legal document every single time. If they're not coordinated together, title will trump the legal document. And here's the thing about a will. You cannot title assets in the name of a will. Your will cannot be the owner of your home. It can't be the owner of your bank account. It can't be the beneficiary, nor should it be the beneficiary of your retirement account or your life insurance policy. So if you're talking with an advisor and you're having them review your document called a will, Make sure you ask them, how is this will going to be affected by how my assets are titled? If you're a married couple and you've moved from another state and you want a lawyer to review your documents because you may have heard that your documents may be invalid that you did in Florida and you moved here to Georgia, which is not correct, but you're having somebody review it. 
ask them as a married couple, all right, if I have my wife as beneficiary on my retirement account, am I gonna need, is she going to need the will when I die to get it? They cannot answer it any other way but no, because beneficiary designation is a form of title. It's not coordinated with the will, and therefore, it trumps the will. The will will not be needed. So if you're going to spend money to create a document or spend money to update a document, you need to know about title and how that's going to affect the whether or not you're going to need that document. Here's another uh, problem with having an incomplete plan. So will is missing title. It's an incomplete plan. Let me ask you this question, Gary. If a will was all you needed, if it was a complete estate plan, then why would you need probate? That's a good question. Okay. There's an ad that runs about, you know, if you did your will online, are you sure it'll stand up in court? Well, if I have a legal document and these are my wishes, why does it need to be verified with a court? That's what probate is. And what court's verifying it? A probate court. And you know why a will has to go through probate? Because it's missing title. That's why we like using a revocable trust. Because you can set up a trust, it's effective now, you don't have to wait for it to become effective when you die. That's why they call it a living trust. And you can title things in the name of that living trust. And when you die, because it's titled in a revocable living trust, you avoid probate. Kevin, if people want to do their planning the right way, now is the time to do it. Why don't you give people your information so they can come talk to you about it? They can go to my website, kevintharp.com, 770-503-1022 is my phone number. Dependable base income. That's coming up next on Truth and Planning. Dependable base income in retirement. I'm Gary Anderson, financial advisor, Anderson Advisors. And I'm Kevin Tharp, elder law and estate planning attorney. Kevin, dependable income, it sounds good. It's very comforting to hear the word dependable when it comes to your income. During your working years, you know, hopefully you had a good job that you could depend on the income from. Most people do. You know that that paycheck's coming every week or every two weeks or every month, however it's set up. You know it's coming in, so you depend on that. You depend on that to address your needs. If some needs are very important, like housing and food and transportation, your income is addressing those needs, and hopefully it's addressing the things that you want to do as well, the things that are, that are optional during your lifetime. When it comes to retirement, it's no different. You still have to have dependable base income, but never mind the fact that once you've retired, that paycheck you were getting from your job, it goes away. And sometimes when I'm talking about someone who is getting ready to retire, that's one thing I bring up because it's important. I always ask people, number one, what are you going to do? You tell me you want to retire, what are you going to do? Well, Gary, that's a good question. I haven't really thought about that a whole lot. That, if, if you haven't thought about it a whole lot, now's the time to do it if you're getting close to retirement, if you're thinking about retiring. Because, yes, that paycheck's going to go away. And that's a shock because you've been used to that thing coming every two weeks, every month, whatever it is, over the years. You're used to that money going right into your bank account 
and it gives you more money that you can spend on things. So you got used to it. Maybe you had pay raise. You kind of got used to those pay raises too, but now it's going to go away. So what am I going to live off of? What, where's my income coming from? What dependable income do I have? Well, I can tell you one, Social Security. And uh, you always get a snicker, you know, from people like, well, good luck with that. It's probably not going to be there when I need it. I really, for personally, I feel like Social Security is going to be there for anyone who is listening to this show right now at any age. I think it's going to be there. And the reason I think it's going to be there, of course, it's a two-edged sword, is that eventually taxes will probably be raised just to make sure Social Security is funded. Taxes will be raised just to, if nothing else, to make sure that the Social Security fund is properly funded and it's properly there to meet the needs of income for future generations. So expect that. And that leads me to another issue as well. When you get it, you're getting ready to retire, you're thinking, okay, my taxes are going to be less, right? I'm going to pay less taxes over the years during my retirement years. Well, that's not necessarily so. Number one, we feel like taxes are going to be going up. We do know taxes are actually going up January 1st of 2026 because the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017 expires then. I'm not so sure we are going to have enough brave enough politicians out there to say let's extend it more because it has created a lot more usable income for people over the past few years. You're claiming uh, double dependence, things like that, that you won't be able to do again after January 1st of 2026. You've got a lot. Your your tax brackets were decreased during that time period. That's going to go up. A lot of people are going to get hit pretty hard because they're going to be retiring in 2026. Maybe January 2026 is the first month of your retirement. And lo and behold, you find out that any taxes you are having to pay on income is going to be going up. We have to be able to address that, and we have to address that in an overall financial retirement plan because we know over the next couple of years, but even the next 10, 15, 20 years, we can anticipate taxes going up. That has to be built into your plan. It has to be built into your dependable income plan. Social Security is a good foundation of your income. Nowadays, it's not uncommon to see people getting four upwards to $5,000 a month in Social Security. So that's a pretty significant source of dependable income. Both spouses, if you're married, are receiving that. And if you're receiving four to $5,000 a month each in Social Security, which I've seen this happen in the past few years, then you're talking about $100,000 a year in just Social Security. And a lot of times if you are, are receiving that much in Social Security, that means you're pretty much used to a pretty decent income in your working years. So sometimes that 100000 that you and your spouse are getting in Social Security, that's, that pays the bills. It takes care of the necessities, but it's not really what you want to be able to live your retirement years and do the things that you feel like doing, you want to do, the things you've dreamed to do. That may take more than that even. So the dependable income comes from different sources, another one being potentially pensions. 
if you're a retired school teacher in the state of Georgia, you really like that pension. You're enjoying that pension a lot, and you're getting pay increases with that. You're getting cost of living adjustments with your pension. If you're a retired teacher or a state employee in the state of Georgia, some pensions don't give increases. They don't give cost of living adjustments. So, But we do know that there are some that do. So you have a cost of living adjustment with Social Security, which helps takes care somewhat of inflation, not totally, but it does help. If you have a pension that gives those, at least you're attempting to keep up with inflation with those two sources of income. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't have pensions anymore. So that leaves your overall investments, your 401k investments, the money you've saved during the years leading up to your retirement to fund your retirement. A lot of times that funding retirement involves using those funds, the money that you have in your 401k, which will become most likely your IRA, to create this other income. And we'd like to think when we do a retirement plan, a a financial retirement plan, that that income also will be a base income. And there's ways when it comes to an overall retirement plan to make sure that that income is based, that it's not going to go away. It's going to be dependable throughout your retirement. So that gives you another source of income there. And when it comes to taxation, we look at when we plan for Social Security, we plan for base income. We know Social Security somewhat is taxable for most people some do, some at some level. Up to 85% of your Social Security is taxable income, although a lot of people don't fall into that bracket. Your pension is totally taxable, Social Security partially taxable. The funds from your retirement plan can be taxable or not taxable or partially taxable. Could be any combination of that based on the source of that income. If it's a traditional 401k, the money you receive from it's going to be fully taxable. So that base income, though, becomes important to you. So let's establish as much of that as we possibly can in an overall retirement income plan. Any funds that you have outside of that, that's going to be the funds that you continue to accumulate, that you continue to grow throughout your retirement to address needs further down the line. Because you don't know how long you're going to live. You don't know what kind of needs you're going to have. But you have to have the ability at any point in time to increase the amount of income you have. That increase most likely, since you're not going to go back to work or don't plan on going back to work, that income most likely will be from your qualified retirement plans, your 401ks, your IRAs, your 403bs, things like that. So let's make sure that the plan includes those funds. It includes a way for those funds to pay you in a way that all of a sudden one day you turn around and you're not having to stop that stream of income because you planned incorrectly. Most of the time, people don't even realize they planned incorrectly until the latter years of your retirement, the last 10 years of your retirement. Maybe you're 80 years old. You find out then maybe the retirement plan didn't work. That's a bad time to do it. We want to plan for as long as you're going to be here. Gary, how can our listeners reach you? Kevin, they can reach us at Anderson Advisors, 888-371-2847. Title of asset, the key to estate planning. Coming up next on Truth and Planning.
title of asset, the engine that drives everything in estate planning. I'm Kevin Tharp, elder law and estate planning attorney. And I'm Gary Anderson, financial advisor, Anderson Advisors. Gary, uh, in the previous segment, we talked about the keys to estate planning. And we talked about the first key uh, in estate planning is uh, focus on the type of document. And that's why we recommend a revocable living trust because it is a document just like a will. But the difference is like a will only takes effect when you die. It becomes legally in effect when you die. Whereas a trust, you can set it up while you're living. Now, when it's a revocable trust, then there's many benefits that go along with that. And one benefit of a revocable trust is you keep ownership. And so we're going to talk about that in just a second. But a revocable trust also means you can change your legal document. You can change your wishes anytime you want to. And that's important because things change in your family. You Things change of who you want to be your trustee. One day, I'm going to change my revocable trust and make my daughter a trustee rather than my brother. Why? Because she's going to mature. She's going to be older. But when I set up my trust, she was little. There was no way she could be a trustee of that trust. She's the beneficiary when my wife and I both die. And that's okay. Anybody can be a beneficiary that you want. In fact, that's another reason we like using a trust, because it's a legal document that says, here are my beneficiaries. But the biggest reason we recommend a revocable trust, and this is the biggest difference between a will and a trust, it doesn't matter what the terms of your legal document say when you die. The one thing that determines everything is title of asset. And we talked about the importance of titling of asset, yet in an estate planning arena, in a context and a conversation you might be having with an attorney, and you're asking them this question, you're going to see this attorney with this question in mind, what's going to happen to my assets when I die? The focus is all about document. The radio ads you heard that prompted you to call that lawyer, we're all focusing on the type of document you have and make sure your will has the proper witnesses and it's signed properly and it has a self-proving affidavit. And again, I'm not dismissing the value of that. That is an important step. But you cannot title any asset you own in the name of a will. So when you die, you have to go through probate. Or... Title will negate the need for the document. You remember I gave the example about a married couple that has a document, a will, that says when I die, I leave everything to my spouse. There's never any discussion about how assets are titled and how that title affects that document. So married couple keep their bank accounts joint. Married couple own a home and it's joint with right of survivorship. Married couple have each other named as beneficiary on their retirement account and their life insurance policies or their brokerage accounts or their CDs. All of those are forms of titling. And so wife dies first. The will says give everything to husband, but the will's not going to be needed because of the way the husband and wife title things. He gets those automatically. And it doesn't matter what the will says. 
So people spend thousands of dollars on a legal document thinking they have their estate plan complete and there's no discussion about title. Why? Because you can't title things in the name of a will. That might be why there's no discussion. Or maybe it's because the, in the lawyer's mind, document controls everything. But the will does not matter without title. Okay? Title is the engine that drives the car. So think about you build a car and you got this key, okay? And you get in the car to turn the engine on and nothing happens because the car has no engine. Ask yourself this question, what value is that car? That's the same thing with a will. It is missing title, so therefore there are extra steps. The will either won't be needed or there will be probate to carry out the will. That's because the will is missing title. So focus on, in estate planning, what's going to happen to my assets when I die? Focus on completing your estate plan by getting your document and title coordinated together, and that's where a trust comes in. Because a trust is a legal document that contains all of your wishes about what you want to happen when you die, and you can title all of your assets in coordination with that trust. Some of those assets will go in the trust now, like your land, your home. Mm. Some assets will go in the trust when you pass away, like by beneficiary designation, like on your life insurance and retirement account. Right. But when you die, because wishes and title are coordinated together, the wishes in your document are carried out and there will be no probate. The absence of title equals the presence of probate every single time. You're listening to Truth in Planning. I'm Gary Anderson, financial advisor, and my co-host Kevin Tharp today is talking about title, the importance of title. Kevin, I've heard you say a million times, you tell me what's going to happen. If I, I'll tell you what's going to happen to something when you tell me how it's titled, mm-hmm. who owns it, what owns it. Absolutely. Like In every single case, it's like the law of gravity. When a person dies, it's not whether they have a will. It's not whether they have a trust. It's how things are titled that will determine, yes, you've got to go through probate or no, you don't. So here are our recommendations to our clients. First of all, title your assets where you keep ownership. That's why this we recommend a revocable trust. We don't recommend irrevocable trust while you're living. Why? Because that is a form of titling that causes you to give up ownership. And there are all kinds of penalties that go along with that. It changes your property taxes. It changes your income taxes. It changes everything. We talked about it on a previous segment when the key to asset protection is keeping ownership rather than giving up ownership. But yet today, Gary, there are people, attorneys out there that recommend irrevocable trust or recommend that you put things in your kids' names in order to protect them. Kevin, I was thinking about this the other day. I've talked to a lot of people. Some people become clients. Some people don't. Depends on whether or not we think we can help them. But when some people come in, well, when anybody comes in for that matter, I don't have many people who come in who have a an irrevocable, tr- I mean, a revocable, no, I'm sorry, an irrevocable trust. 
That's correct. If they have an irrevocable trust, and I started thinking, why do I see most people who have revocable trust, and I don't see many people who have irrevocable trust? Gary, if you see a person that has an irrevocable trust, a client comes in, you're not going to be dealing with them. If they have an irrevocable trust, you're going to be dealing with somebody else. Why? Because they've given up ownership over that asset. You can't advise them or assist them or give them investment advice because they've given up ownership. You got to go deal with their trustees, which may be their children. I'd have to talk or to somebody, somebody else. You got to talk to somebody else. But when you have a revocable trust, you keep ownership so you can still talk to the client because they have retained ownership. Here's another thing title it so that you have access and others can have access when you need them to, such as when you become incapacitated or when you die. Access is one of the most common reasons that people call my office every day. If you keep title things where you keep ownership, which is what a revocable trust does, then you still have access. You can still get to your stuff. Gary, here's another thing. Title things where it will not affect your taxes. A revocable trust does not affect your property taxes or your income taxes. An irrevocable trust does. You're going to have to file a separate tax return for the irrevocable trust. So you're trading off a lot for alleged protection when you use uh, uh, irrevocable trust. And the last thing is title things where you avoid probate. And without exception, when assets are titled at a revocable trust at your death, there will be no probate. The difference between probate and no probate is tell me how an asset is titled. And if it's titled in the name of a trust, it avoids probate and all the benefits that go along with avoiding probate. Kevin, if I want to do that, if I want to avoid probate, make sure things are going to where I want them to go after I'm gone, what do I do? Contact us through our website, kevintharp.com. Dependable income. What about your required minimum distribution? That's coming up next on Truth and Planning. Potential downsides of delaying your required minimum distribution. I'm Gary Anderson, financial advisor, Anderson Advisors. And I'm Kevin Tharp, elder law and estate planning attorney. Kevin, required minimum distribution. A lot of people probably don't even know what I'm talking about. If you're still in the working world, maybe you're in your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, yeah, you hear required the, word, the phrase required minimum distribution from time to time, but you really don't know what it is. But basically, you start to really, really understand what it is the closer you get to retirement, and certainly through the years of your retirement, that becomes a real issue. If you have a 401k right now, or if you have an IRA, the 401k that you have could most likely become an IRA once you retire, that's a tax-deferred account for the most part. Some people now have Roth 401ks, which are awesome. I would just pretty much point blank say for most people that's the way to go if you have that option just because of the wonderful tax advantage you get from that when you retire. But most people, the majority of people, still have traditional 401ks, traditional IRAs, and with that, the tax tail wags the dog, 
You don't have to pay taxes on that money while you're accumulating it all those years, but once you start taking that money, you're going to pay taxes on every single bit of the money you take out of it. So, the government, the deal you made with the government when you started this 401k, this IRA that you have now, is that, okay, I'm going to get a tax deduction for, for contributing to this, but at some point, Mr. Government, I am going to owe you the taxes that I didn't pay on this before. But I'm also not owing you the taxes on what I didn't pay before on the income that I was would use to contribute to this, but I'm also paying taxes on the accumulation of that money. I'm paying taxes on every dime that's in there when I go to take it out, if it's a traditional 401k, traditional IRA. Roth is a different story. There's a great advantage of that. That's kind of a subject of another show. But what we want to do is look at the required minimum distribution as a source of income, which it is. The government makes you start taking it at a certain age. That used to be 70 and a half for a long time. Really confused a lot of people. 70 and a half, the April 1st after year 70. All these things kind of played into it, so nobody ever really knew when they were supposed to take their required minimum distribution. We had to really look at that and make sure that we had it right with people. But now that age keeps going up. For instance, if you were born right now after 1960 or 1960 or after, your required minimum distribution age is 75 years old. 75. You can wait until you're 75 when you have to start taking money out of it. That's a, a, a break for a lot of people because you're just, if you're having to take money out of something you don't even need the income from, then it becomes a burden. And this being a taxable burden for the most part, that you're having to start taking money out of it. So you wait until you're age 75, let's say, to start taking your required minimum distribution. And um, the downside to that, naturally, is you're going to pay the taxes on that money. Now, if you wait until 75, like the government requires you to do after that age, then you're going to have a situation where you're having to take out more money than you would have had you been taking it at 73 and 72, 70 and a half. Because your life expectancy is shorter, therefore the formula doesn't change with this. It ramps up the amount of money that you have to take, and now you're taking it in a shorter period of time. That's the required minimum distribution. So there's another way to look at this. If you need more income during your retirement and you have a sizable 401k, sizable IRA now, there's nothing wrong, and this is generally speaking because everybody's different, Kevin, but there's nothing wrong with taking money out of that IRA before you're age 75, 73, whatever that age for you it is. There's nothing wrong with taking it out the day you, you retire, for that matter. You can receive money, pull money from your IRA, your 401k, after age 59 and a half, and um, you're paying taxes on it, but you're not paying any tax penalty. So sometimes that concept is there. Okay, I'm getting dependable income, let's say, from my, my uh, Social Security. That's dependable. Comes every month. Get a pay raise every now and then. Great. Maybe I've got a pension, taking money from that, get a pay raise every now and then if it has a cost of living adjustment. That's a dependable source of income. And also, one other dependable source of income can be your required minimum distribution to an extent. It changes, naturally, 
based on the amount of money you have in there and the age that you are. But let's say that you're trying to make sure you're minimizing your overall tax situation. So if I'm looking for increased income, sometimes, sometimes even, I'm better off taking my required minimum distribution or taking money from my IRA now and waiting even to start getting money from my Social Security later. Because I can wait until I'm 70 years old. That's when they make me start taking money from Social Security. So maybe I'll wait. Because it's going to be a lot more income if you wait between, let's say, at age 62 or 66, 67. Between then and age 70, it increases pretty dramatically. So let's wait. But if I need that income, if I was counting on that income, Gary, from that social, from my uh, from Social Security, what do I do? Well, one alternative could be taking money earlier from your IRA. Remember, there's nothing wrong with that. You're going to pay taxes on it. But let's think about this: taxes are less now than they're going to be later. So why not start taking money from the IRA that you have earlier? because you're going to pay t- less taxes on it. Now you're taking the, the uh, value of that account down somewhat. So in the years taxes go up, namely 2026, January of, 20, January of 2026 is when your taxes are going to go up. Let's start taking it earlier. Defer Social Security as long as you possibly can. And you're getting a tax benefit both ways then. Gary, as a general rule, Social Security is not taxable. Mm -hmm. But when you consider other sources of income that are taxable, it could put you in a situation where your Social Security becomes taxable along everything else. So that may be where it could be an advantage to go ahead and take some of that taxable money now. Mm -hmm. And you're going to pay less taxes simply because of the fact that you're not going to. You get Social Security now, it could push you, the combined two could put you into a higher tax situation, even if taxes are even higher then. Right. So it could be to your tax advantage to take money out of it now. And we, we talk about diversification when it comes to your investments all the time. But you can also have diversification when it comes to the taxation of your retirement income. And that's one way to do this. It takes planning. It takes, you need to talk to a financial advisor. You need to talk to someone who can help you plan. This is something we do. We help you plan to make sure you're taking advantage of all the tax situations out there. But sometimes it makes perfect sense to start start taking money earlier. If you wait until you're 75 years old right now and and you have, let's say, a million dollars in your IRA, you're going to be taking more, and then as time goes on, you even start getting having to take more than that. When you get into your 80s, maybe 90s even, you're taking larger percentages. But it's culture shock if you've got a million dollars in an IRA, and all of a sudden the government tells you, okay, Gary, you're going to be taking $65,000 a year or 55 or whatever it could be out of that IRA. Every bit of that's taxable, and Kevin, you're right. It makes your Social Security taxable as well. Gary, how can our listeners reach you? Kevin, they can reach us at Anderson Advisors, 888-371-2847.
Investment advisory services are offered through Anderson Advisors, a registered investment advisory firm. Anderson Advisors is an independent financial services firm that helps people create retirement strategies using a variety of insurance and investment products. Investments involves risk, including the potential for loss of principal. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Any reference to protection, safety, and lifetime income generally refers to fixed insurance products, never securities or investments. Insurance guarantees are backed by the strength and paying capabilities of the insurance carrier. This show is intended for informational and educational purposes only and should not be construed as investment advice. You should consult with a financial advisor to help determine the best options for your particular circumstances. No statement made during this show shall constitute tax or legal advice. Our firm is not endorsed by the United States government or any governmental agency. The information and opinions construed herein presented by third parties have been obtained from sources believed to be reliable. Completeness cannot be guaranteed. Neither Gary Anderson or Anderson Advisors is affiliated with attorney J. Kevin Tharp or any guests on this show. Mm-hmm.